Chapter Nine of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Who came back? Oh, it's you, Mr. Mueller! exclaimed Mrs. Diesler as the pan in which she was scraping fell clattering from her hands. She had not heard him come into the kitchen after his knock at her living room door was not answered. Did you think it was a ghost? Mueller asked, laughing. I wouldn't be surprised at anything in this house, grumbled the old woman, drying her hands as she turned to her visitor. Why is this house so different from any other house? I don't know why, but it is. I've had my experiences here. I don't like it. And if they hadn't offered me more money for staying— Why, yes, of course, I can understand. This last affair was unpleasant enough. There's been more than this affair. But do come in and sit down, sir. What's the use of staying in this drafty kitchen? Mrs. Diesler led the way to her cozy room and pulled out a chair for the detective. Mueller sat down and waited until the housekeeper had settled herself opposite him. Then he began again in a tone of polite interest. You say there's been more things happening in this house? There has, indeed. Mrs. Diesler was pleased to talk to such a sympathetic listener. It takes some courage to stay here, I can tell you, sir. And if they hadn't given me more money, as I said, I— You wouldn't have stayed? Mueller smiled. You needn't smile, sir. Mrs. Diesler was a bit offended. The likes of us has to endure a lot for a decent living. Still, I must say there hasn't been anything much lately. How lately? Oh, for the last week or so. But before that, did you hear anything unusual then? Oh, yes, indeed, ever so often. It would sound as if someone were creeping about in the house. And then again there'd be a rattling in the walls. It's an old house, and old houses are apt to talk to themselves, said Mueller. Mrs. Diesler leaned over toward him and asked mysteriously, Do they scream, too? Mueller looked surprised. What do you mean by that? Because there's something that screams in this house. Hmm, often? Mueller could not resist a faint smile at the old woman's superstitious fears. She saw it and turned away offended. Then his kind heart reasserted itself, and he showed a flattering interest and a desire to hear more that soon soothed her. No, sir, I didn't hear it but once, that queer scream that's never been explained. And wasn't it strange, sir? It was the very night the, the poor lady died, as if it was something that knew what was going to happen, a sort of omen, and it was so queer anyway. When Tony found her next morning and she screamed, that was different. Then I knew who it was and why. But that other scream, the evening before. Why, sir, what's the matter? You look so queer. The old woman stopped, startled, and stared at the little man who sat opposite her. His usually pale old face was flushed by waves of color, his nostrils quivered, and his chest heaved with his quick, panting breath. He paid no attention to her question, but leaned forward and laid his hand on her arm with a quick, excited pressure. "'When did you hear that scream? Think carefully, please. Just when did you hear it?' he asked. His gentle voice was almost harsh. "'But why? Answer me, please. Tell me just that and nothing else.' "'But I told you. Quicker, please, quicker.' "'Well, it must have been about seven or maybe half-past six. No, nearly seven. The evening before the body was found? Yes. About seven? Yes, I was all alone in the house. Hmm. Were you? Are you sure about that? Why, sir, what? Yes, yes, you're right. I must try to get at this thing calmly. I'll only confuse you. Otherwise, I want you to tell me all about it. But there's nothing more to tell, sir. That's all there is to it. Oh, no, my good woman, that's not all there is to it. Not by a good deal. That was only the beginning, but we'll come to the end now. Yes, I'm sure we'll find the end. 
the true end of this story there was a gleam in Mueller's eyes and his nostrils still quivered slightly otherwise he was as calm as before mrs diesler looked at him in growing alarm but he nodded reassuringly we'll talk this matter over quite calmly he began i'll ask questions and you'll tell me just what you really know not what you think or imagine but what you know to be the truth yes sir i'll try to tell you nothing but the truth replied the woman seriously she did not understand what was happening but she felt it was something of importance and something that concerned the queer scream she had heard evidently this stranger believed she had heard it there was silence in the room for a moment muller was busy with his own thoughts why didn't you tell anyone about this scream why didn't you tell the police tony told me not to tony told you not to speak of it yes sir she said the commissioner and the others would only laugh at me for a foolish old woman she said i mustn't bother them about such things you don't say she thought of everything this tony didn't she now tell me did tony hear the scream too was she here with you when you heard it why no sir she'd gone out with her lady yes that's so the two the two of them muller paused then continued were at the theatre then they'd both the young lady and tony both gone out before you heard the scream surely gone out yes sir that's exactly how it was and i hadn't told you yet i heard just one loud shrill scream just one yes sir and the ladies had been gone at least half an hour or more and you're sure one of them was miss layman why mr muller didn't i open the gate for them myself and wasn't it broad daylight i saw the young lady plainly and heard her speak too i can't understand what you mean by all these questions muller did not answer queer queer he murmured half to himself oh i forgot tony came back once came back the young lady had forgotten her feather boa was that before you heard the scream oh yes sir they'd been gone but a few minutes before she came back for the boa did you let her in no she had her own keys they always took the keys when they went to the theatre did they go often every two or three days the young lady was bored most to death here but she didn't want to go out alone at night so she took tony along and let her sit with her too in the best seats they always sat right down front tell me are there two keys to the river gate asked muller who did not seem to notice the woman's last remarks there were two keys once but the people we had here last summer lost one where's the other one back in the main hall on a nail near the door good then tony came back for the boa and then went out again what happened after that then when it was nice and quiet in the house i had my coffee and sat down to read the newspaper i'd been reading some little time and then i heard the scream i was so scared i just sat still for ever so long then i got up and went all over the house but everything looked all right and just the same as usual both the house doors were locked yes sir at least i think so i know the front door was locked for i had to open it when buchner rang the bell at the gate were the room doors locked yes i know they were because i tried them all the lady always locked them when she went out the door to the attic was locked too where was pollux he seems to be a good watchdog he'd gone with buchner they didn't come home until after dark did you say anything to the gardener about that scream no sir he'd only have laughed at me muller sat a moment in thought then continued and then when the two came home he lingered on the two the two ladies they drove up in a cab about half-past ten did you notice the number of the cab no did you know the driver by any chance no now listen and answer carefully are you quite sure that it was miss layman who came home with tony did you see her plainly mrs diesler looked up surprised 
Then her face went white, and her hands began to shake. Steady now. Keep cool. Don't be frightened. Then you think? stammered the woman. I want to know what you think. Was it surely Miss Lehman who came back with Tony? Did you see her plainly? No, I did not. Why not? It was dark down at the gate, in spite of the lights on the cab. But it was light enough in the house? Yes, but— Tony had forgotten her opera glass in the cab, and asked me to find it. Before I found it and came up to the house, the lady was almost at the top of the stairs. And Tony, was she in such a hurry to get out of your sight? Oh, no, she waited for the glass, and then asked me if I'd make her a cup of tea. She'd come right down again. Did she? Yes, sir. Did you notice anything about her, anything different from the usual? Only that she was pale and looked tired. But she'd had a headache all day. She was shivering, too, and real hoarse, and she asked me why I had the dog in the room with me. Oh, the dog was in here, not out in the garden? I had him in here the whole evening. I was frightened after what I'd heard. Yes, yes, go on. I told Tony what I'd heard, and the stories about the house. She said her lady must have heard something of late, because she was frightened, too, the night before. And then Tony got scared, and asked me if I'd sleep upstairs with her. And did you? Yes, sir, I didn't mind having someone with me that night myself. We were talking it over when the young lady rang. Mrs. Diesler stopped talking, and wriggled uneasily in her chair. The young lady, or whoever it was, she continued with a shiver, rang the bell, and Tony went up. Did she stay long? No, she came right back. She'd forgotten to put out the drinking water for, for the lady. At least that's what she said. She brought her own water bottle to fetch water for herself. Then we went up, and Tony was asleep in less than half an hour. You think so? But I heard her breathing, sir, the way one breathes in sleep. Or if one wants to pretend sleep? Then you think? I don't think. I am quite sure that Tony didn't sleep fifteen minutes during that whole night. But why shouldn't she? It's not easy to sleep when you know that scarcely two doors away there's a murdered woman lying— Murdered! Mrs. Diesler half rose from her chair, then sank back, shaking pitifully. Murdered! she repeated dully. Yes, Mrs. Diesler, Elise Lehman did not kill herself. She was murdered, and your Tony had something to do with it. I don't just know what yet, but she was concerned in it somehow. Mrs. Diesler still sat staring at him, trying to understand what she had just heard. Then, as his last words penetrated her consciousness, she sprang to her feet and almost screamed, No, Mr. Mueller, that isn't true. I'll never believe that. I'll never believe Tony had anything to do with it. She's innocent. You can take my word for it. You can't look that way and act that way, the way she does, and be concerned in a murder. Tony's so serious, and so sad, and so gentle, and she's pious, too, and prays so hard. No, no, I don't know what you found out, but Tony is innocent, and that's gospel truth. Tony never did anything wrong. The woman stood looking down at him, her old face almost handsome, in the fine flush of righteous indignation that suffused the faded cheeks. Mueller smiled gently up at her. Are you sure it isn't just Tony's pretty face that has charmed you, as it did the others? he asked. The woman laughed a short, hard laugh. Nonsense, she replied angrily. That girl's much better than just pretty. She's a good woman. You can trust me. One woman finds that out mighty quick about another. We don't let ourselves be fooled by a pretty face like the men folks. There was another pause, during which Mueller made a mental note of the fact that everyone who had spoken of this Tony thus far had been prejudiced in her favor. Then he continued his questions as to that night and next morning, 
asked about every detail of Tony's behavior, and had to acknowledge that she had acted as the most innocent person might act. Yet he knew she was not innocent in this affair. He asked about Miss Lehman's actions the last days before her death, whether she had received letters or visitors, and whether it was known that she had friends in the town whom she met outside the house. All he could learn was that she had received a letter some days before her death, a letter that must have contained bad or unpleasant news, for she had cried over it, and then torn it up. "'Where did this happen?' asked Mueller, interested. Mrs. Diesler knew only that it was somewhere in the garden. She hadn't seen the occurrence, but Buchner had told her. Then Mueller rose. "'Don't worry about what has happened here, Mrs. Diesler,' he said in his usual kindly tone. "'But murder!' that's worse than what we thought it was. Murder! But it's all over now, as far as you are concerned, and at least you need have no further fear of ghosts. This house is not haunted. That cry you heard is easily explained. It was Elise Lehman's death cry. He went out, leaving the old woman to look after him, shuddering, as he slowly mounted the stairs. The corridors with their ivy-shaded windows were already dim in the gathering dusk as Mueller passed through to the corner room. His first concern was to look about for some glass or other vessel in which Tony might have brought the water she said Miss Lehman had rung for. There was nothing there, but he must first find out whether any such vessel had been moved from the rooms since the discovery of the body. If it had not, then Tony had lied again. The ringing of the bell which Mrs. Diesler had heard proved to Mueller that Elise Lehman's murderer was still in the house at eleven o'clock that evening. He had rung to notify his accomplice, Tony, that he needed her. He may have left the house then, and she had opened the door for him, locking it after he had gone. That need not have taken much time. The side door key was in the lock, and the garden gate only a few steps from the house. It could all have been done in three minutes. And the girl must have been absent from Mrs. Diesler's room longer than that. She had even had time enough to recover from any excitement those minutes might have brought but it was remarkable that knowing just what had happened upstairs, she could have sat there calmly drinking tea with the old woman. Of course, as the murder had been committed at seven o'clock, Tony had had nearly five hours to prepare for the ordeal. Still, this mysterious, unknown woman must possess a strength of will quite out of the ordinary. Joseph Mueller, who knew human nature as few others did, found himself, whether he would or no, joining the ranks of this fair enigma's admirers that any woman, any young, gentle, and attractive woman, could lie there and pretend to sleep quietly that whole long, hideous night, this meant unusual willpower. And indeed this woman's whole behavior proved her to be out of the average in strength of character and steadfastness of purpose. But she could not command obedience from her body. I can well imagine that she looked pale and ill, thought Mueller, remembering what had been said in this regard. If I ever meet this Tony, I'm afraid I'll be liable to tell her how I admire her, whatever else I may have to tell her, he thought as he opened the last door of the wardrobe and took out the black coat. He laid it over the center table in the sitting room and lit the hanging lamp. He examined the cloak carefully. There was no mud on it anywhere, but he realized that the spots on the dress might have come from a passing wagon at a time when the wearer of the coat had let it fly open in the wind. A man, if it was a man, would have difficulty in managing a loose garment like this. Mueller was already convinced that someone else had worn Elise Lehman's clothes on that late homecoming. He took up the cloak as if to return it to its place. Suddenly he stiffened, 
and dropped the garment on the table again. His mouth tightened to a straight line. He looked at one spot on the fine-textured expensive cloth, then his hand moved slowly over it. It was a spot which had been torn and mended, not carefully mended, but hastily, as if done by a trembling hand. The tear was not conspicuous, for it would have been quite hidden by the heavy lace that hung from the front of the collar when the cloak was in use, but it came in a peculiar position in the left side, just breast high. Under this spot Elise Lehman's heart beat in life, and under this spot, Mueller was now convinced, her heart had ceased to beat. Yes, she wore this coat when she was killed, he murmured. The dagger must have left some spots of blood here. Whoever mended this coat washed away the blood, for the cloth is dulled here and the light silk lining darkened. The mending was more noticeable on the lining, and a few minute dark spots were still visible under the criss-crossed threads. Mueller hung up the coat and turned to go, when his attention was again arrested, this time by something that blinked at him like an angry red eye from under a little table between the windows. He reached down and picked it up. It was the second hatpin, a big red crystal. The murderer's hand must have tossed it into that dark corner where the daylight did not reach it. It was the light from the table lamp that had struck it into fire. No, this was not a premeditated murder, thought Mueller. This man was beside himself when he realized what he had done. He must have had a moment of sheer insanity as he threw these things about. But what came after was remarkably well planned. Ah, yes, the instinct of self-preservation always triumphs at the last, but never quite perfectly. These two were clever, but not quite clever enough. Mrs. Diesler assured Mueller that nothing had been moved in the rooms upstairs except by the police, and she was sure no one had taken a glass from the rooms. Buchner could not tell just where the lady had torn up her letter, but he thought it was somewhere near the fountain. Mueller promised that he himself would come the next day, or someone who would bring credentials from him. Ossip was waiting for him at the hotel, with the name and address of the young poet they had met by the river, and with a telegram which had just come from Professor Thorne. It read, Can do nothing to help find person you mention. Think you are mistaken. Girl was taken on in Linz. Knows nothing of her mistress's past life. Has gone to Munich, now traveling with new employer. Looks sickly. Letter follows. Thorne. She told him the same lies, and he believes them, thought Mueller. He probably thinks her interesting, too. A strange woman. Everybody is for her, and everything is against her. End of chapter 9